Welcome to the Weekend Booktopian, our podcast on all things book news and the books that we are reading and enjoying. I'm Nick Wasiliev, uh, Booktopia's social media specialist, and I'm joined today by our non-fiction category manager, Joel Nahum. Hello, Joel. Hi, Nick. Our business development and relationship manager for trade books, Scott Whitmont, joining us via Booktopia's uh, external online fancy... Tahiti office. Tahiti office, that's right. Hello, Scott. The wonders of technology. I'm not really in Tahiti, but hi, Nick. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, and our fiction category manager, Ben Hunter. Hello, Ben. Hey, Nick. How are you? Very good and very glad to have you all here this afternoon. So as with all episodes, we'll dive off by kicking off into the world of book news and then we'll be discuss the, bo- the, booking, the books that we have been reading and enjoying and then be sure to stick around to the end where my guests will go head-to-head in a battle for book supremacy that we like to call book fight. So the book news uh, that has been, that has happened over the last week or so, it is awards, awards and more awards. And we will start off with the Australian Book Industry Awards Longlist, which was unveiled on Monday of this week. And the breadth of the books that have been uh, highlighted goes to show just how good last year was when it comes to books. And I'll throw to you first, Joel, if I can, for this one. Sure. Um. Who is your pick for the main title of the book of the year and which other books do you think are, are standing out for you? I mean, it's really... Hey, ca- before, you, before you answer, Joel, I'm just going to interrupt because everyone listening to the podcast might not realise that these awards are actually voted on by the trade, by booksellers all around Australia of their favourites. It's not a public award um, from, from the uh, buying public. It's actually from those who sell the books and it's about the ones they most enjoy selling. Just got to add that. Sorry. Yeah, Go for enjoy it selling and... It's, it's to some extent an award for how well the book is published and how well the book is sold rather than it just being a book, the best book necessarily. Yes. It's, not, it's, not a, it's not awarded on the content. I've been a judge for the Arbias um, a couple of times and um, have been involved a little bit with the organisation that runs it. And it's a, it's a, it's a big to do every year <laughs> and the way that the way that they put together the nominee list can be very contentious uh and the category sometimes does the way it works is there are a bunch of different categories and books that are long listed in those categories and then it, there's a winner picked from each category and then overall there'll be a winner um picked from those winners so the overall winner has to have won their their normal category as well as the overall i i honestly think it's it's hard for me to pick i feel like my head is not in the fiction game this year so I think there's some pretty good fiction contenders and it's been a huge year for fiction. So I feel like probably one of the fiction titles will grab it. But in terms of non-fiction, I think Phosphorescence is the, would be my pick. Mm. It will set, I think that will win its category and I think there's, it's got a chance to win the overall because it's just it's been a bookseller favourite. It did so well last mm. year. It and was it was just a very topical, timely book yes. for 20, 2020. So, yeah, maybe. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that book, so that, that I'll back it. But um, I'm sure Ben has other things to say. <laughs> but by Julia Baird, of course. For uh, yes, by Julia Baird. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right in that it has been a very big year for fiction. There was a Craig Sylvie, there was a Trent Dalton, and they're both big contenders. Um, and obviously Jane Harper as well, was probably <laughs> the, the really big gun seller, um, uh, even more so than those books maybe. Uh it's, it's also been a massive year for a debut book, uh, The Dictionary of Lost Words, which is mm. also comes from a, a small press, a firm press. So that's that's actually got some real legs in the fiction game. And so I, I, I 
I'm not going to put money on this because it's a really open field. It's competitive. <laughs> yeah, it looks it's it's wonderful. It goes to highlight how good so many of how many books there were last year particularly as you mentioned in the in the fiction category and just how how blessed we were to have so many of those books um all within that space. Scott, what you, what is your pick? Which books are, are standing out for you uh, for the for the RBS this year? Well, look, we're we're of a like mind. I will add one more to the wit mix. But when I was looking at them, I thought you know fiction's pretty strong this year. You know, I think Trent Dalton or Craig Silvey are probably a shoe in um, with all the shimmering skies and Honey Bee and the Sophie Laguna too. Uh, I, also agree with phosphorescence, which uh, has a look in. But the one I want to add to the mix, which I thought was a very special book this year and very worthy and deserving, is The Happiest Man on Earth um, yeah. by its 100-year-old author, uh, Eddie Janko, who's a Holocaust survivor about his his life and teenage years and what happened to how he survived the Holocaust. And he's still a guide at the Sydney Jewish Museum at over 100 years of age. Amazing man and a very uplifting book about forgiveness and, and, and getting on with life and what's important in life and family and love. And it's an easy read. It's not a big book, but it's been a huge runaway bestseller. And how wonderful for Eddie at 100. And and I might add there's a category in the RB is the, uh, the Matt Ritchell Award that Dear old Matt Ritchell, who we lost far too too uh, early, was the MD of uh, um, Hachette, uh, who died in an accident a couple of years ago, and it's named after in his honour. Um, it's it's an award for new writers, and Eddie's made it in the new writers category. I thought there's not many hundred year olds who make it into a new <laughs> writer category, but uh, I would love to see that win because I think it's a really life affirming, wonderful book. It probably won't, but I think it deserves to. But yeah, phosphorescence or or a Craig Silvio trade stock. Trent Dalton, I reckon, will get it. So we kind of agree there. One thing I think is a little bit interesting this year, um, I'm, I'm looking at the list now, and the Literary Fiction Book of the Year, I want to read the nominees. Uh, Lonely Girls A Dangerous Scene by Jesse Two, mm. A Rumour of Leaves, Kate Granville, All Our Shimmering Skies, Trent Dalton, Honey Bee, Craig Silvey, uh, Infinite Splendor, Sophie Laguna, Song of the Crocodile, Nadi Simpson, Sorrow and Bliss, Meg Mason, The Last Migration, Charlotte McConaughey. All of those are excellent books. Not all of them I would term uh, literary, but that's always a weird contention <laughs> in the obvious of what's literary and what's general fiction. Um, but there's uh, no Richard Flanagan. Yes. Yes, that mm. really stood out to me also. Was really is, it, that was an amazing is it because book. of when it was published? I don't know. 2020. 2020. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, it definitely it came ca- out last but year. Is it, um, I'm not sure what the... Whether the calendar year, I can't remember when in the year it came out. Well, um, we're going to talk about it later. It's in the Design Awards. Yes. Last mm. year. Yes. It, yes, it certainly is, and I think that's a, a good that's segue. A yeah, it's a good segue onto uh, onto the 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 next awards the long list that was an, unveiled, which is the Australian Book Designers Awards. And as you as you mentioned, Scott, the rich that Richard Flanagan cover for the Living Sea of Waking Dreams is absolutely divine. Um. Well, kind well, of get... And if anyone gets that book, if they take off the jacket, the actual cover of the book, which is like green leaves that mm. almost have a texture to them, it's a beautiful book under the jacket also. I don't know if that's part of the design award. Probably is, but I think that was a fantastic production, little hardback. Yeah, yeah. We don't do enough um, hardbacks in Australia, that, <laughs> and that one's very special. I agree, Scott. Yeah, um. I'll throw to you for this one, uh, Ben, because I know I'm aware that there are so many fantastic covers in that uh, in that uh, Abda's uh, long list. 
what's the one pick if you could narrow it down that is really standing out to you at the oh, moment? Look, there's, I mean, <laughs> I, I look at um, these uh, uh, lists and, and see books I've never seen before because mm. uh, there's, <laughs> there's the, the, you know, uh, book design uh, uh, usually uh, in, its, in its highest forms usually goes into like lavish non-fiction yes. stuff, the, the kind of stuff uh, Chanu is um, wild about. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm seeing wild cookbook covers and uh, um, other illustrated non-fiction and that's, that's where the really wild, just, just actual book as art mm-hmm. <laughs> lives. Um, but there, has been, there have been some gorgeous fiction covers uh, in the past 12 months and my favourite and my pick to... Just beat that Richard Flanagan hardcover in the literary fiction category would be The Mother Fault. Yeah. Um, uh, Sorry, which one, Ben? The Mother Fault by Kate Millenhall. Um, it's it was it's an artist, an Australian artist I follow, um, Daniel Lint. I think his name is. Mm. Um, you'll have to fact check. Put it in the show notes. Um, mm. A link to his profile. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff that is really evocative of the mood of the novel without in any way highlighting the content of the novel. And I, and I, I hate when um, book covers are far too descriptive. <laughs> this one is just gorgeous. Yeah, exactly. Um, S- Scott, apart from the, uh, the Richard Flanagan one, which uh, have, have you had, had a chance to have a look at this long list too and see were there any other ones that stuck, that stuck out to, stuck out to yeah, you as well? Yeah, I, I have. I mean, we've already discussed him for the, for the Arbia for the book content, but the jacket of Trent Dalton's All the Shimmering Skies really grabbed me from the moment I mm. saw it when that book came out. Um, it's, it's a beautifully designed, very colourful jacket that sort of, I guess, shimmers like the, the word in the title. It's, it's got sort of gold and, and you know, uh, glowing colours in there that stand out. And it makes you, when you see it on a bookshelf in the bookshop, makes you just want to reach for it and pick it up. And I think that that's a sign of a really successful design. You know, if it, if it calls out to the browsers and says, pick me up, look how beautiful I am. And that's what all the sh- our shimmering skies did for me. Um, I, I think that really deserves uh, some some recognition in this award and um, that's designed by Darren Holt. So congratulated for that. Yeah, I absolutely love that cover. That's it's psychotropic, isn't it? Oh, it's beautiful. For the Abdas, you've got Trent Dalton in commercial fiction and then <laughs> for the Arbias, it's in literary fiction. And didn't Trent yeah, win com- wasn't he in commercial fiction for the Arbias when he won? General fiction, rather? Oh, I but think the, it was general fiction, uh, new writing, yeah. and book of the year. And then year. this year he's gone into literary fiction. <laughs> it, I just it, think it, uh, it, I find the categorization of these awards because the publishers decide what they submit it for. Yes. So it's, I find it quite fascinating how they do that, that the split. So, it, so they might have felt that there was a cover in the literary fiction that they couldn't they couldn't win against, so they put him into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's very cynical of you. You're probably no, right, but cynical in a way it doesn't matter because it's just about a book that deserves recognition getting recognition. So it's it's kind of semantic which category it falls in as long as it's recognised in the awards. And, and I think, you know, these ones we've been discussing yes. certainly do deserve it, uh, whichever Definitely. category they nominally put them in. I think the two that stand out for me uh, in uh, non-fiction memoir would be 14 I loved yes. that cover. Yeah. It's really striking. It's very simple, but really says something, I think, and especially um, 
once you read it and find out what it's about, I think it's it's, it's very sad actually. Mm. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful cover and really striking. Um, and in nonfiction, which apparently includes scholarly and reference books, <laughs> um, Richard Feidler's new book um, oh, Golden yes. Maze is in that, mm. and I thought that cover was just yeah. so striking. It's an amazing cover. Beautiful. Yeah, it does. It's great. They're both beautiful books. There's a lot of great books here though. Yep. <laughs> we'll have to go look at them because we're just talking about yeah, them. Yeah, I know. It's I, 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 like, I know, I know. I feel like we I'll, I'll, I'll put <laughs> this a link is the best medium for discussing yes, how the covers look. <laughs> so for, for, I'll, I'll put a link to the to the long list uh, in the description box uh, for this so you can go and check out these beautiful covers uh, because there are so many. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really exciting long list uh, in all of those categories uh, for the Abdas. Um, just as our, to our final uh, news piece, which is the last uh, talk, which is the CBCA Notables, uh, which also uh, got uh, unveiled um, in terms of those that long list too. And I'll throw to you uh, for this one, uh, Scott. Does it? Uh, are you excited by uh, all the children's and YA books that are uh, available and coming out uh, in the in the CBCAs this year? Yes, I am, and I'm always excited by this award. As, as I've said before on this podcast, my background is I owned and operated my own bookshop for many years before I joined Booktopia. And uh, so this was a big deal every year when the CBC, which is the Children's Book Council of Australia Awards, uh, are announced. Uh, all the schools jump on them, all the libraries, all the parents. You know, everyone's always very excited to find out what the Children's Book Council has listed and there's 95 books in the long list and then they go to a short list and then the winners in various categories but they're all Australian books and they're always something to get excited about if you're a parent a grandparent or a, or a librarian or a school teacher um, some of them jumped out at me uh, I, I, being a former bookseller a physical bookseller you know bricks and mortar bookseller I, I love the books that are about booksellers and there's a few of those in this list this year in the older category the one that jumps out for me is by Garth Nix it's yes. a fantasy novel for older readers called The Left-Handed Booksellers of London mm-hmm. about a secret society of booksellers with magical powers I just love that idea and in the youngest younger category younger readers is The Grandest Bookshop in the World by Amelia Mellor which is about um, the Coles Book Arcade in 1893 in Melbourne and uh, a bit of adventure fantasy novel there also in the world of book selling then there's picture books early childhood um, one jumped out for me in that category was uh, Anemone is Not the Enemy which I yeah, think well, is uh, every time I see that title I just smile <laughs> it's a great title by Anne McGregor it's not a lot of text it's a picture book but it's about life in a rock pool and the anemone that wants to make friends but when you sort of threaten to poison the fish or others that come to smell or touch you you know it's a bit hard to make friends it's a really cute little book and uh, then there's also the Eve's uh, Palmer Award which is for kids non-fiction and uh, I thought it was fascinating the one in that category Azaria a True History um, by Marie Coot and as the name suggests most people would know that's the story of Azaria Chamberlain but of course, this is a kids' book, a kids' picture book, and you know, kids who will be read this book or read it themselves. You know, this incident happened long before they were born. But it's about wild animals versus people in Australia, about the role of the media, about miscarriage of justice, but told for a kids' level. And the teachers' notes that come with the book, uh, and it's for kids as young as five. Really beautifully illustrated. So I think that's a really interesting one in that category. And the last category is um, how to make a bird. Uh, by Meg McKinley, Matt Otley illustrator. Uh, Matt Otley is one of my favourite Australian illustrators. Any one of the pages of this book, you could have a 
put on your wall. It's extraordinary imagery and really rich language and a very imaginative story about the creative world of a young girl and gathering ideas and the creative process and where it can lead. A uh, beautiful picture book. So, yeah, they're just my favourites of each category, but as I said, there's in all the categories there's 95 books long-listed, so there's a lot to trawl through and get excited about if you love kids' books, young or old, and uh, look forward to seeing what the short list holds. But, uh, yeah, good list, always is interesting. Um, thank you, Scott, and thank you, everyone, for the new section. So we'll move on to the books that we have uh, been reading and enjoying, and I'll throw to you first, Ben, uh, for this particular section. What have you been uh, enjoying over the last few weeks? Well, Nick, I've found myself reading a bit of crime. Oh, crime, yes. Yep, dusting <laughs> off my fingers, getting into a bit of <laughs> gruesome crime. Uh, <laughs> uh, the first book I'm going to talk about is... Is, is definitely a thriller, but I'd, I'd call it a literary thriller. And I think this is a book you've read too, Scott. Uh, um, and it comes to us from TV royalty, Deborah Oswald. Uh, she came in for oh, a yeah. signing, Nick. Uh, mm. And so we got to spend some time with her. It, the, the book is called The Family Doctor. Uh, and it uh, is hard to talk about without spoiling. Yes. Um, and I should give a content warning before I really go into it because uh, there are themes of... Uh, Domestic violence, uh, murder, and suicide. Uh, in this book, it's uh, not for the kids. Um, so, if if that is a trigger warning for alarm bells, uh, just uh, block your ears for um, ten seconds. Um, it starts off with an atrocity. This novel, uh, uh, just the most unspeakable stuff happens. Uh, uh, a uh, abusive ex-husband tracks down a uh, woman and murders her children in front of him and makes her makes her watch her children being murdered and then murders her and then uh the main character of this novel stumbles into the room she's a gp Mm. and he takes his own life um in front of her traumatizing horrible stuff and that sort of catalyzes the book to follow um which is brilliant it's set in the inner west of sydney which i just seeing Deborah Oswald, who is a writer, um, creator of Offspring, amongst other amazing television, um, and also a string of great novels, I should say. Uh, just seeing her portray my home haunts <laughs> is just really cool. Um, even though some of the the content of this book is is grisly, uh, it's about um, it's about intelligent women making. Um, really grave decisions on how to protect some of the most vulnerable people in society, um, the victims of domestic abuse, when they've been failed by a culture that permisses this stuff and failed by a legal system that struggles to uh, prosecute it and to prevent it going to its most horrible forms, of which I alluded to in that opening scene, uh, it's it's intense stuff. And if I talk about it anymore, I'll spoil it. <laughs> but it's great. Go read yeah. it, The Family Doctor. Got I've got to agree, Ben. And and for those who are worried that you gave it away, what that thing, terrible thing you talked about, it's really the first couple of pages. So it's the premise <laughs> of the book. It's not giving any away. It's how it starts. But uh, Deborah's other books have had so much humour, laugh-out-loud humour, uh, like, like in Offspring, the TV series that she also wrote, so it's quite a departure for her. But I, I think one of the taglines in the blurb is, you know, is it ever justified 
to take a life if it's going to save a life. So there's lots mm. of moral questions in this story about um, you know medical profession, about the police, about the justice system, uh, and I, I couldn't put the damn thing down. It's a really you know she's found a new genre and uh, very successfully. I think it's great to have a thriller from her with yeah. a lot of gravitas to uh, really a lot to think about. It would be great for book clubs because there's a lot to discuss in this book, lots of themes, and mm. and it was a really great story. I, I yeah, endorse every e- effortlessly taking to it I'd, I'd say and um and still be able to just um just run wild with uh evocative and uh really friendly uh still with that humor this depictions of australian life that she just does so well uh and yeah. that's that's her baseline and then she's built this really clever thriller on top of it that's just gold um the other the other crime book i'm reading at the moment um is by a bloke called matt namble who is famous, apparently. <laughs> apparently he was in the dry, um, a wow. performer. Um, but he's written this cracker um, uh, debut crime novel, uh, which is the perfect thing for people who loved Scrublands, the dry, and have been looking for that really evocative Australian yeah. crime. This book uh, is called Still. It's just one word, Still. It is set in the Territory in Darwin, uh, 1963, height of summer, blazing hot, um, tropical weather, a lot of booze, a lot of racism, uh, and, a, and just uh, the town of Darwin, you know, still a frontier town, a town with a lot of dirty money and dirty secrets. It starts mm. with a grisly murder. Uh, our hero cop uh, is the first guy, the first cop on the scene to pull this guy out of a swamp. And he has been murdered in the most brutal way. And uh, his commanding officer doesn't want him nosing into it. Um, And it becomes very obvious that there's a lot of conspiracy going on and a lot of uh, dirty money exchanging hands in the town of Darwin. A lot of drinking, a lot of sweat, a lot of blood in this book. Uh, It's it's grouse. I like how you've taken on the affect of a northern yeah, territory. Just, top uh, just, the, just the way you're sitting, you're sitting in the chair, just everything like it's my it, inner Russell Crowe. It sounds like waking fright. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's an interesting comp. Yeah, it's. I'm loving where you're at. You're, you're, you've suddenly taken a turn from from what you normally read into some gory, violent territory. It's it sounds like something that Mark would in, would 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 enjoy with much relish and much enjoyment. Wow, uh, Mark would enjoy it more if it was set in space. Yes, that's true. Actually, very good point. <laughs> um, thank you, Ben. Amazing, amazing recommendations. Um, I'm loving where your brain's at when it comes to getting into crime, into crime fiction. But I'll turn to you now, Joel. Um, sure. What have uh, what have you been uh, enjoying over the last couple of weeks? So my nonfiction pick from recent reading is uh, the wonderful Yumiko Kadota, who's written um, a wonderful, I guess you could call it a medical memoir, mm. sort of the starting point of it. It's called Emotional Female. And Yumiko is a um, doctor in Australia, and she's written this sort of the memoir of how she got into surgery. She was training to become a plastic surgeon. She has, she became a plastic surgeon, but not a, um, she didn't get into the surgery program because essentially she, I mean, burnt out. But as she, as she says in the book, it's, that's the simplest way of putting it because as she says in the book, being burnt out seems to be something that people say 
to blame the person who's burnt out as if somehow they mm. did something. But what she's exploring in the book is the ways in which particularly the, the medical system, public hospital system in Australia sort of um, breaks people, but breaks doctors and just doesn't get the best out of them. And it's sort of horrifying because I think we all sort of think of the medical system as some kind of merit-based system where people who are at the top deserve to be there because they're the smartest and the hardest working. But what she does, what she does sort of blow it open and, and reveal the sort of sexism, racism, classism and a whole bunch of other isms it's just a very it's a very revealing fascinating book um at its heart though is this sort of fascinating medical medical memoir that that you know you just get this really interesting insight into how people become doctors and and the you know the grossness of surgery which is it's not in hugely gross detail but it is just enough to keep you really fascinated like how they graft someone's jawbone into uh you know mm. thigh bone into their jaw or something you know that's always fascinating but but the, the i think the core the emotional core of the book is about about that and she she was called an emotional female by one of her um you know one of her underlings i believe when she got angry at someone for something and it's just it's one of those um the catch cries in the book it's, it's really good um she came in and recorded a podcast with us and did a signing and she, she was lovely to hang out with really smart and it's just well worth a read in general i think uh, for anyone so Joel, from the title of that book you, you sort of think that it might be just for, for women but what you're explaining is it's the story of uh, in medicine of surgeon surgeon's career and it's, it's not it's yeah. women, no no it i mean I definitely think women are going to what read it and um sympathize and understand and i'm sure most women will have experienced things that happened to her in this book but in some ways it's better if men read this book because they're the ones who are usually doing it to her and they're the ones who are usually right. doing it to mm. other women and um i think well personally i got a lot out of it from the experience of having burnt out in other jobs and feeling that sense of um, like things are, you know, building up to a point that you can't get out of it and you don't know how to get out of it. That So that, that part of it is a little bit triggering, I would say. Mm, mm. But um, it's still, there is a sort of catharsis to it because she, she does come out of it in a really interesting way and she's a much happier person for it. And in some ways she advocates for that. You know, I think she says at one point, um, you know, you you kill yourself for these jobs that they would replace you in in a week. Yeah. And that's sort of the message of the book in some ways is knowing when to walk away. Mm. And some of that other stuff contributes to everything, but it's not. What it ultimately comes down to is you you making a choice to leave a toxic workplace. She does talk a lot about as well about the, the actual uh, personality that surgeons are. That, yeah. that they have. And it's this was like when she was talking about it when she came in to visit um, – I mean, I have that experience working in that in that sector, mm. and surgeons are very quite cold, calculating people who look at situations like this in a very weird, particular, disconnected way. Mm. Which you'd be surprised. Which surprises I anticipate would surprise a lot of people because you know you have someone's life. Yeah, and in that's your why hands. the title is so good because yeah. it's, it really ties into this idea that you know we we have this class of people, workers, doctors, who uh, they're dealing with patients and you want them to be able to empathise with you. Yes. Um, obviously for 
to protect themselves in their jobs. Sometimes they won't be able to empathise with every person they interact with, but every, but you want them to have some empathy for the people they're dealing with. And yet, it is seen as a, a, a burden and a detriment if you're emotional in the job. And I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about it because, you know, you're left with this sense that I would want Yumiko to be my doctor, you know. Mm. I want someone who cares, who tries really hard. Mm. Um, and you don't want some of these cold-hearted people being the ones uh, to do the surgery. It's not necessarily the best combination. And I think that's just fascinating. Mm. Um, I, I won't talk about other books because I think everyone else has probably got enough books. <laughs> <laughs> I have read, um, read so other books, but I'll leave it at that. When people listen uh, to your review, they'll no doubt want to run straight out to get it if they're not getting it online from us. We should point out that it's, it's just about to hit the bookstores. It comes out next week, officially, 2nd of March. Yeah, and you can pre-order it at Booktopia now, yeah. So, uh, I, right. which I highly recommend because we've got some signed copies right now. There you go. Um, and if you're listening to this later, we will, will not have those. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they, they, they have been flying out the door lately. Um, <laughs> yeah, which, because it's but a, it's a great read. It's a great read. Indeed, absolutely. Thank you, Joel. Um, fantastic recommendation and uh, a, a book that hopefully will encourage and ins inspire a lot of people to, to look at that, that industry in a new way. Um, last but absolutely certainly not least, I will turn to you, Scott. I'm always impressed by the, the books you like to discuss um, whenever you come on the podcast. What have you been enjoying um, over the last oh, few thanks, weeks? It's a, it's a mixed bag and I, I pay deference to my colleagues, Joel and Ben, because I've chosen a, a non-fiction and a crime, you know, just to follow on from what they both did. <laughs> Very good. So there Excellent. you go. Um, <laughs> Sets <your> theme. <laughs> so my non-fiction, uh, if anyone who knows me, they'll be very surprised that I might talk about a sports book. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little far from being a sporty sort of guy. But it's um, it's not really a sports book. It's really a social history, and it's called The People's History of Tennis by David mm -hmm. Berry. I know you've had a look at this book too, Nick. It's one that we actually distribute at Booktopia this distribution services and uh, it's an English book but a fascinating history of social histories I said of the sport um, that I didn't realize actually only came into being tennis as we know it now lawn tennis in 1874 in Knightsbridge in England the first uh, game was played there was a major Walter Wingfield who patented uh, he was an inventor and he Victorian inventor who patented a portable lawn tennis set and before that it it was really just a game that aristocrats had played, played mm. indoors on hard floors with wooden balls. And the game of tennis, lawn tennis, as we know it, you know, started just as I said in the 1870s. And what this book explains is um, that despite its establishment sort of credentials, tennis, the author argues, is really a surprisingly radical uh, sport. It's, it's played its role in gender equality and, and overcoming racism and homophobia over the years. Um, been part of the feminist struggle to get women on an equal footing. Suffragettes tried to burn down Wimbledon a couple of times. Um, there were efforts by women to be allowed to play lawn tennis. Uh, in the early days, they weren't allowed to. And in later years, Billie Jean King uh, led the fight for equal prize money for women. So there's all sorts of stories about that sort of history of the game. There's horror stories about the elitist, uh, beginning elitist nature of the sport, um, the culture of tennis clubs today, Lots of anecdotes, lots of things I didn't know about the history of social history of the game. I think my biggest complaint about this book is, um, as I'm getting a bit on now, the writing was a bit small. <laughs> oh, a small font there. But um, it was a really, really interesting social history. And I thought, given we've just had the Australian Open, everyone's been in tennis mode and watching and enjoying, that they might enjoy getting a copy of this um, paperback of people's history of tennis. So that's my first one. Mm. And my... Um, 
second one is uh, not quite the gritty crime you discussed, uh, uh, Ben. It's a cosy crime novel, which was a bit of fun, and it's called The Winds Are Not by F.J. Bennett. And it's in the first, it's the first of what's anticipated being a series, um, which will make you laugh when I tell you uh, it's about uh, an amateur sleuth who, since a teenager, has been very good at solving crimes behind the scenes, and nobody knows how good she's at solving crimes. And this sleuth is Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, and it's, set, <laughs> it's, it's set in 2016 when she's about to, they're preparing for her to turn 90 and all the celebrations. And uh, there's a big function at Buckingham Palace, and one of the guests, uh, a young uh, Russian pianist, is found dead in his room, having stayed overnight at the palace after this reception. Um, and it looks at first like it was uh, death by misadventure. Um, and then they look a bit closer and they realise that it was, it was set up to look that way and actually it was murder. And uh, the Queen is quite unhappy with the mishandling of the case by MI5 and the, and the Metropolitan Police. And so she decides to discreetly take matters into her own hands and with her assistant private secretary uh, look into the case and, and solve it. And people didn't realise and probably in real life don't realise that the Queen is not just a nice old lady, but she's very decisive and she's shrewd and she's canny and she's an excellent judge of character and she quietly goes about uh, using the strings that only she can pull with the, with the help of uh, a few of her, her staff um, to get behind the scenes and solve the crime that the police are actually you know, going down the wrong track uh, in, in their pursuit of it. And I'll just read you a couple of lines. It really gives you a feel for it. When Prince Philip hears about it, he comes in to speak to the Queen and he says, Lily Beth, did you hear the man was mute? Talking about the guy whose body was found. Yes, she says, actually I did. Strung up like a Tory MP, he says. There's a word for it. What is it? Auto-sex something. Auto-erotic asphyxiation, the Queen said grimly. She doogled it on her iPad. That's the bugger <laughs> thing, Good Philip. Gravy. It's, it's so funny and it's so delightful. And I thought, you know, when I heard about it, the Queen behind the scenes being detective of crimes in Buckingham Palace, I thought this is either going to be really stupid or a lot of fun, and it is a lot of fun and really makes... The Queen uh, paints the Queen as being, as I said, a very canny, clever lady. While she's, you know, still trying to be the Queen and do everything she uh, has to do as head of state, she's quietly behind the scenes uh, being a sleuth. So I look forward to more in the series. If you like cozy, quiet crime, if you've got a, a nice feeling for Her Majesty is having a bit of a rough time at the moment with a poor hubby in hospital and a grandson getting over it, you can have a read of this. I think you'll really enjoy it. The winds are not by SJ Bennett. So there's my two. I think Ben's eyes have just lit up. That's wild, Scott. That's that's something else. <laughs> Those, yeah, you read that little extract. How, how can you not be taken in by that and want to read more? That's fun. <laughs> Those, that sounds absolutely delightful. Um, even though it's a, even though it's a crime, even though it's a, even though it's a crime novel. Thank you, Scott. I, <laughs> absolutely amazing recommendations. Thank you, everyone. Um, it's a real solid crime and nonfiction vibe to uh, our, to what we're reading at the moment. But uh, all of these books sound absolutely wonderful. Um, so before we head into uh, the last section of the podcast, uh, Book Fight, we are in fact sponsored uh, this week by the February pick of Booktopia's book club, which is uh, Susanna Turner's uh, Worth Fighting For. Everyone loves Charlotte. She's friendly, funny, smart and kind. And she's a brilliant baker. So why has she moved to a country town where nobody wants to know her? 
Dunbatten doesn't seem to get that Charlotte is just there doing a job, convincing the town that the local silver mine should be allowed to expand. If only a certain local farmer named Nick McLeod didn't have to, 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 to make that task so much harder and personal. Worth Fighting For is a big-hearted romance about community, baking, and finding love in the unlikeliest of places, and it is our February pick for the Booktopia Book Club. Links to it will be linked down in the description, in, in the description box, which is our sponsored book for this week. All right. We ready to get down and dirty and play Book Fight, everyone? Ready as I'll ever be. <sighs> I, won't, I won't get dirty. I refuse. <laughs> well, you, you're in you're in luck, Scott, because the last two times we've had people dial in, they've actually gone on to win this. So, oh. uh, it's, so um, be a first. yes, <laughs> it'll it'll be. I'm curious to see uh, how we go, but of course, uh, as always, I'll require a buzzer from all of you. Um, Ben, what shall your buzzer be? Canary. Canary. Ooh. I'm not going to ask the the reason why. So I'll. Uh, but fascinating, Scott. What shall yours be? Uh, well, you'll guess my reason why when I say tennis. <laughs> Give a nod to the books I've been reviewing. And uh, and Joel, lastly, what shall yours I'm be? I'm not going to try and come up with one that's themed to my recommendation. <laughs> anything I could come up with would be offensive. <laughs> I'm just going to go with buzz. Buzz. Oh, very original. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Let's play Book Fight. Question one. Harlow, White Harbour, Old Town, and Lannisport are locations in which famous fictional series? <laughs> uh, it's the Song of Ice and Fire. It is absolutely correct. Yes, it is. It is uh, Westeros is the, the, the locations in that, in that series. It's very clever of you to jump in before the question was asked. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to wait? I didn't realise we no, had no, to wait. No, no, no. I'm just impressed with your, how competitive you are. <laughs> <laughs> question two. Name the book that contains this opening line. I know. <laughs> we were somewhere around Barstow, on the edge of the Buzz. desert. Oh, straight in on it. <laughs> it's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yes. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Absolutely correct. <laughs> Didn't even to get to finish it. My goodness. Did <laughs> well done. When the drugs began to kick in. But yes, that's the answer. That's the rest of the quote. <laughs> that's a very famous first line. I was going to try and impersonate that kind of how Johnny Depp did, does it in the movie, but I realised... <laughs> probably I for the best. Probably for the best not. <laughs> <laughs> Question three. Who was the Arbia Award winner for general non-fiction in 2020? 2020. <laughs> Last year's the kind of thing I should know, isn't it? Buzz? Yep. Uh, oh, wait. General nonfiction. General nonfiction. General nonfiction. Yeah, so you didn't think this was going to be all easy, did you? No, I, I, maybe I should time out my buzz. <laughs> Leave it to the others to. Oh, God. Does Goodness. anyone remember? Yeah. Um, talking about this year, now you're asking about last year. Um, general nonfiction. I can't remember any books from last year. Look, our, our uh, bestseller, would it, would it possibly be The a, Land Before Avocado? Oh. The Land Before um, Avocado? No, it's not. No, that was the year before. Oh, year before. Oh, mm. Sorry, uh, Scott. Uh, I know because I know, I know, it was the Booktopia Award winner too. Yes, it's Flanagan. Yes, it was. It was correct. Uh, the correct yeah. answer so is... The same Kid slot the in the publishing lineup. <laughs> 
as Land Before Avocado, basically. Yes, it was 488 Rules for Life by Kitty Flanagan, which also was our Fab Award winner for that oh, year. Oh, tennis, by the way. I think that we would know. Yes, <laughs> yes you remember the buzz we in Scott. Got it, but that's Chanu's book. That's why I didn't get it. <laughs> I bet Comedy that's and humour. That's, that's, that's not, an, not under my category. <laughs> <laughs> Question four. Um, and in typical fashion, because Liv is absolutely demolishing me on the awesome questions front, I am stealing one of her questions and I'm going to tell you did, two did truths. You, wait, wait, did you tell her that you're going to take her question? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you two truths and a lie okay. about Agatha Christie. And you have to determine which of these three comments is the lie. A. She suffered six consecutive rejections before her first novel was published. B, including the complete works of Priro and Miss Marple, she was responsible for writing over 90 novels. C, she was the first recipient of the Mystery Writers of America's Grand Master Award. What's my one? Uh, Canary. Uh, Canary. I'm going to say it's C, but I think we should all get a guess. Yes, everyone should get it. Everyone should get a guess. I would also guess C. Well, I will guess A. Um, you are all wrong. <laughs> it's actually B. She did not write 90 novels. She wrote 66 oh. was the correct answer. So not as many novels um, was the... Uh, that was, was a the, trick question. It was a Nick. trick question. You guys went straight for the... Yes, but she did in fact get rejected six times before her first novel was that's, released. That's a light number of rejections. I, I think, know, in I know. In the industry. Mm. I know. It, it, it was, I was looking it up this morning. She goes, she had a very unsuccessful start with only six rejections. And I went, are you serious? Only six? That's nothing. <laughs> That's nothing. I, I, I have to I have to add in here that I'm the proud uh, owner of a lovely uh, letter and autograph photo she sent me when I wrote to her when I was a teenager, and wow. uh, it just shows how That's old great. I am. She was still alive, and uh, she wrote back to me, so I've got that framed. Wow. That's oh, well, a- if you didn't bother her so much with correspondence, she could have cracked out another <laughs> <could've written> thirty-seven <laughs> novels, <laughs> or twenty-seven novels. Scott. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Um, but yeah, so Agatha Christie, she only just wrote the casual 66 novels and 14 short stories. <laughs> Clearly, you weren't what doing What a lightweight. Enough. What a lightweight. Um, <laughs> and just casually sold 2 billion copies, as you do. But anyway, uh, yes. So we move on to question five here, and I expect Ben to be right on the money oh, no, with this one. Don't, 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 don't heat it up. <laughs> Preempt it. Question five. What is the name of Sally Rooney's forthcoming book? Oh. <laughs> Sugar. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I've definitely been told what this is, but it is not going to be in my short-term it memory. It's not in my brain, uh, is it? Because <laughs> I put pressure on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. More conversations with friends. No. Um. <laughs> Yet another conversation <laughs> with a friend. <laughs> Normal people return. <laughs> uh, uh, Weird people. Uh, yes, Scott. Um, I think called something like not gorgeous a beautiful world beautiful world where are you yes beautiful world where are you is the answer that's a great yes great response there scott at home with the ipad scott at home with the ipad (laughs) that's implying that scott is cheating (laughs) (laughs) no i got i was excited when that was announced and i remember writing it on my list of must get a copy Yeah, it's we're going to be. It's going to be a very exciting time when that when that book drops. Uh, she is. It's it's twenty twenty one is looking like the year for Sally Rooney. Not only just with the new adaptations of Conversations with Friends, but also this book coming out. Um, we have two questions left, and uh, currently Joel 
is on two points. Scott is on two points and Ben is yet to score. But don't worry, Ben, you have the chance to come back. Oh, I'm just <laughs> getting warmed up. Yeah. Um, question six. And I'm going to give everyone a chance to answer this question because it is a, a difficult one. And the person who gets the closest will be the winner. What is the exact number of sonnets that William Shakespeare wrote? Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. And I'll give you a chance. I'll give everyone the chance to have a I guess. think it's in the high 40s. So I'm going to say 49. Way too low. Way too low. You can't, you can't say that and then give us all the gifts. Oh, yeah, true that. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry Ben. <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah, more, I was thinking high, how to many, be fair. How many, did you, how many did you say? Uh, I said 49, and apparently I'm um, useless no, no, on that. I, I, tennis, I say um, it's like 100 more than that, like 149. Oh, you're actually quite close. Quite close. Jo- uh, Joel? <laughs> so now the question You're is... Like I'm, just now, I'm, just, I'm just kind of now... I'm just, lost on the prices right now. No, I'm just kind of now thinking like whoever... Everyone will get, to go, everyone will get to go around next again. So <laughs> until we get the exact number. To give clues. I'm yes. going to go with 140. Lower. Um, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Higher rather, unfortunately. Yes, and that's, that's not right. I'll throw it to you, Ben. It's uh, higher than 140. Oh, we get second round then. Yeah, we'll go second round. I'm because oh, I realise everyone needs to have a, everyone needs to have a chance at getting this. I had a chance and I blew it. Nick. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but now I feel bad. I felt bad for just. For, Don't feel for, bad for me. It's, <laughs> it's lack of talent. It's not your um, fairness. Um, yeah. uh, look, uh, 150. Oh, oh, so close. That's, that's one more that I said. Um, um Scott, uh, 100. Fifty-five. Oh, it's even closer. Making that oh. noise. <laughs> it's even closer. You're getting so close, Joel. Joel, take the cake. Hundred and sixty. No, no, too high. Too high. Oh, Joel. <laughs> Joel, God. Hundred and fifty-four. You are absolutely correct. One hundred and fifty-four oh. is the answer. I think we all deserve so, so zero does, points does, for does that. Do you get the point of being the only one for having a third round guess, or do I get the point of being the closest to the second I, round? I, I think Ben can, can can have a point. Ben, right? ben can have a point. Yeah. He's, he's still That's, to score. That is a pity a, point. That is a pity point. A pity point is the uh, yes. So we now are in a, a unique uh, situation where Ben's on one, Scott's on two, Joel's on two, so we actually might either have a one that will tie the three of you up. Um, That'd be fun. Which could be fun because I actually do not have a, uh, a backup. Another question. Another question <laughs> um, after this uh, as, as a tiebreaker. So just, for, just to make it a bit more fun, I'm going to make this last question two points. Um, so, whoever t- so it's basically a, whoever gets it takes the win. Sudden death. Sudden death Ooh. because it makes it a lot more fun. Question seven. Who is the author of Lord of the Flies? Mary. Oh, no. It was, I got Ben first. William Golding. William Golding is the correct answer. Ben's got it. Oh. Yeah, I really did well, guys. <laughs> that, pit, that pity point really put him over the edge. <laughs> goodness, my pity point. <laughs> and sorry I um, uh, undercooked your prolific sonnet writing, Bill, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm sure he's rolling over in his grave. <laughs> and if S- Sally Rooney's listening, she's probably going, more conversations with friends. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> what, what was I thinking? Well, Nick, it's like you've been going through my autograph co- 
like you've been going through my autograph collection because I also have a letter to William Golding. Oh my goodness! There you go. <laughs> oh my goodness, Scott. Have you? What? Who, who do you not have in your signed autograph uh, it, collection? It, it was my teenage hobby collecting autographs, and I especially wrote to lots of authors and, and actors and actresses asking for letters back and autograph photos, and some answered and some didn't, but they were two who did. Oh, that's fantastic, and always hold on to them because those are that's that is an incredible little piece of history right there. Getting a signed copy from from the likes of Agatha Christie and William Golding. Um, but that brings us go. to the end of book fight for this week. And look at the scores. Oh my goodness gracious me! Joel with two, Scott with two, Ben with that pity point, and the two points at the end <laughs> wins with three. My goodness gracious! Thank congratulations. Very much. Well done, Ben. There you go, Ben. You can never say you've never scored. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you very much, Scott, Ben, and Joel, for joining me this weekend, because that brings us to the end of the weekend, Booktopian, for another week. Um, and we'll be sure to check out all of the books that we've mentioned uh, down today in the description box. Um, the Weekend Booktopian is produced by myself, Nick Wasiliev, and you can check out hundreds of episodes on our Apple podcast or SoundCloud channels. Um, where you can also check out a wide variety of author interviews, book analysis pieces, and more, including including our recent interview that uh, Ben and Joe did with Claire Thomas on the performance, which was the last podcast that we did. Um, be also be sure to check out Booktopia TV on YouTube, or if you can't get enough of chatting to authors, head to the Booktopian blog, where you can read the articles that have been pushed every single day, including our recent interview of Sarah J. Mass's A Court of Silver Flames. Thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.